is uh, Mark 12, which is on page 1017. Mark 12, 1017. Starting at verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall round it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children, and last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
you are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for reading. Uh, uh, hello, good evening. My name's Mus, if we've not met before. Uh, it's short for Mustafa, which is an epithet of Muhammad. So, I'm a Christian, um, just, <laughs> just so, so, but we all need to pray for God's help. Uh, so, I'm just going to pray for us. Dear God, thank you for your word in the Bible. Thank you for this passage of scripture where we see Jesus. We pray that your spirit would work so that um, we respond to him as you intend. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, we all like a good underdog story, don't we? Have you heard of Cliff Young? Cliff Young was a farmer come runner, and um, he entered the uh, Sydney to Melbourne ultra marathon, which was 544 miles. Uh, age 61, he turned up in his overalls and gum boots and began to race. He, he plodded along at a, a plodding pace, um, and the rest of the pack went ahead. 
And on the first night, they stopped to sleep. But Cliff carried on running and carried on for five days and won the race uh, and beat the previous record by two days. Uh, so, so toothless farmer Cliff um, at the, the back of the pack ends up being the champion and he wins tens of thousands of dollars. They make a film about him um, and he gets the order of Australia. He gets rewarded. So there's a, there's a good turnaround story and we like that. Um, there's, there's something of that in this passage and I think we like that because that's, um, that's the image of God. That's Jesus. Um, so we see it here. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rejected stone becomes the stone in the middle of an arch that holds it up and joins it all together and is the most glorious stone. Um, just a bit of context before we go into, into the passage. So Mark 11 and Mark 13 are either side of Mark 12. So numbers still work the way they normally do, which is useful for us. 11 is about the temple. 13 is about the temple. And so is 12. In 11, the temple is condemned. In 13, it's prophesied by Jesus that the temple will be destroyed. And it is, um, 40 years later, by the Romans. So our passage comes in the middle of that. It's about the temple ending, really. The temple is the place where God's presence is with people. And uh, Jesus and Jesus is here at this moment in the temple uh, when it's coming to an end. And we see that he is the cornerstone of a new temple, of the people of God. Um, at the start, ju just before this passage, um, his authority is questioned. So he comes into the temple, drives out the money changers, and the, the authority of Israel, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, also known as the Sanhedrin, they question his authority. And he, he, um, they say to him, by what authority do you do these things, driving people out of the temple? And he, he answers them in a way that forces them to acknowledge God's authority, but they don't. And that's where, that's where we begin in Mark 12. So they've not acknowledged God's authority. And Jesus begins to, to speak in parables. Um, he begins to teach. And we see in this passage um, that the rejected son has become the cornerstone of God's temple. And that's what we'll see. We'll go through the parable, and then we'll go through these three altercations that Jesus has with uh, different, different people who are trying to trap him, trying to stump him and test him. And we see his supremacy. So we'll go through, go through that. And at the end, we'll think about how his teaching applies to us. Cool. Okay, so uh, the parable. The parable, Chris, Chris read it for us in its entirety. Uh, thanks for doing that work. And... Um, we'll just recap as to what happens and, and we'll see who is who. So in the parable, there's, there's a vineyard 
and there's a vineyard owner. The vineyard owner goes away and lets the vineyard out to tenants. Um, this was common in those days. Vineyard uh, vine dressing was, was, was an important business. You could be exempt from military duty if you were a vine dresser. So it shows the priorities of the nation, doesn't it? Yeah. Protect the country and make wine. Um, but they were ready to defend the vineyard from animals, from thieves. And the vineyard owner wants fruit. And so he sends servants to get the fruit. Um, but the, the tenants beat up the servant, the first one. And the vineyard owner is, gives them a chance. Uh, he gives them another chance. He sends another servant. And they, they shame this, this servant and they beat him. And um, he sends another one. He, he's, he's very gracious. He sends another one. And they, they kill this one. Um, and then he sends still more after that. Even though one's been killed, he sends more and more until he's got only one left. His son. His beloved son. Um, so he's, he's been very patient, very gracious, and he even sends his son. Surely they'll listen to my son, he thinks. Um, but what do they do? They kill the son. That's the gut punch of the parable that the son is killed. Um, and um, what, what does the vineyard owner do? He destroys those tenants. He, he, he's going to destroy them and give the vineyard to others. So that's, that's what happens in the parable. And um, the parable draws strongly, uh, draws from Isaiah 5, where the vineyard is uh, the people of God. So, so God has a vineyard, and the vineyard is his people. And he wants fruit from that vineyard. He wants fruit. And it says in Isaiah 5, that the fruit is righteousness. The fruit is justice. So God wants righteousness and God wants justice from his people. That's what God wants from us. And um, in this parable, uh, the difference is uh, that there are tenants and the the chief priests, the teachers of the law, recognize that they are the tenants. Um, it says in verse 12, uh, then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So, so there we have it. We have the, the vineyard owner is God. Israel is the vineyard. And the tenants are the Sanhedrin, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the elders. Um, and um, so uh, that, that's what happens. And we can see from this that uh, there, is, there is judgment, uh, that the tenants will be destroyed. And we see that um, this is part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan that the son is killed. So there is a judgment, the son is killed, and God has ordained this. Okay, um, so what, what does that mean for us? Well, well, if Jesus is the vineyard owner, 
uh, sorry, if Jesus is the son and it's, it's been planned he's going to be killed, um, then suffering and rejection is a part of the Christian life. It's the pattern that Jesus has set. So we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We shouldn't be surprised that being a Christian is difficult, that we face rejection from our families, from our friends. Um, that's normal. Um, but remember, there is a great reversal. So the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus, Jesus says, has become the cornerstone. See, Jesus uh, quotes an Old Testament scripture from the Psalms in verse 10. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Though Jesus is killed, he will triumph. He predicted this before. He said in, in chapter 8, verse 31, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and the elders will reject him. He will be killed and then rise. This is part of God's plan. Um, so, so for us, the next time we're feeling the pain of being a Christian, we can rejoice. We can look forward to the time where those who are rejected become the insiders in God's kingdom. Because those who reject Christ now will face God's judgment in the end. So keep going. Go all in with Jesus. Um, this is the normal pattern for us. Um, uh, now we're going to look at the next, the next point, is that the rejected son is the teaching authority in the temple. So the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders who had already devised a plot to kill Jesus back in uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 18. They'd already got that emotion. Um, they, they, they send the, the Pharisees and the Herodians with a, a cunning plot. So they, they, they say to Jesus a question that if he answers it, he's going to get in trouble with Caesar, which means he'll be killed. So, so they ask him, is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? And this was a tax that was levied against subjugated peoples. Um, so if Jesus says it is right to pay it, then he's going to fall out of favor with the, the crowds, which is what the scribes and elders want, because they want to be the, the authority, not Jesus. But if he says no, then... Uh, he's in trouble with Caesar and he could be killed. So it's a bit of a, a trap. But, but watch Jesus, watch what he does. Um, Jesus answers their question in such a way that he acknowledges the authority of God. It's wonderful. So should we pay or should we not? Uh, verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. 
Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And the word amazed is marveled. It is marvelous in our eyes. And you see the irony there that those who are trying to kill Jesus are marveling at him. So he, he, he acknowledges that the coin has Caesar's image. And uh, Caesar has a right to that coin. And so it's right to give it to him. Um, he acknowledges Caesar's authority. And then he goes to God and says, give to God what is God's. And that's us. So, so we bear the image of God. And we belong to God. Because he made us. And he has a right to all that we are. And you can hear the voice of the vineyard owner in Jesus' words. Give to God what is God's. God wants fruit from his people. He wants righteousness and justice in all people. And here Jesus is making that appeal even to the ones who are trying to kill him. Give to God what is God's. Uh, they were amazed at him. Nothing more to say. Round one, I think, goes to Jesus. Uh, uh, Next up are the Sadducees. And I can't help finding this slightly funny that the Sadducees think they have a really good question to stump Jesus. Um, and it's kind of long and convoluted. But uh, basically, they're, they're, trying to, uh, they're trying to stump him and make out that the resurrection is ridiculous. They don't believe in the resurrection. Um, and Jesus' answer, again, there, there's so much in it, there's so much, um, so much wisdom. Um, he, he appeals to the scriptures that they believe in. The, the Sadducees didn't accept all of the scriptures, but he uses the scriptures that they did, the, the Torah, that's all they believed in, which is a good technique for us if um, somebody does not believe uh, in Christianity. Is to, is to use their own beliefs to show the errors in what they believe. So Jesus is very, very wise here. Um, but uh, Jesus says outright that, that you're wrong. Um, he says, uh, verse 24, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? And he says at the end, Verse 27, you are badly mistaken. Um, and he speaks with authority about the fact that there is a resurrection. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So um, round two goes to Jesus. They don't, they don't answer. Um, Jesus has proven that there is a resurrection. And Next, round three, is uh, a teacher of the law. Uh, teacher of the law asks Jesus what seems to be a genuine question. He genuinely wants to know. He's not trying to trick him. Uh, he asks him, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And that's a really good question. I think it would be good for us to sort of 
uh, step back and think about the significance of this moment. So, the vineyard owner is God, uh, God's son. Uh, God's son's come into the world. He's come into the temple, the place of God's presence, and he's been asked, what does God want from us? And this is a huge moment in history that, that, that God's son himself has, has come, and he's about to tell us what God requires of us, of all people. And here's his answer, verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He begins with God. Before a commandment comes, the commander comes. God is first. And, and listen to what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The word with is better translated from. So it's not about the instrument with, it's more about the source. Love the Lord your God from all your heart and from all your soul and from all your mind and from all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So here is Jesus teaching the law to a teacher of the law. He's the true teacher of the law. And this, and this is weighty, isn't it? This is really hard. Um, <laughs> I hope none of us think that this is an easy commandment. To love God from all we are. Do you feel like you are the source? Um, that you have resources within yourself to love God perfectly. I hope not. It's tempting to do a show of hands, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think any of us would, would put our hands up. And the second commandment is connected. It's the way we fulfill the first um, as well. It, it, it's the way we fulfill the first. And, um, yeah, rabbis at the time attempted to sum up what is the most important commandment. And they said, if you don't want someone to do something to you, don't do that to someone else. That's just, don't be an idiot, isn't it? Even that's hard enough. But Jesus says, do unto others. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. However you love yourself, do that for someone else. However you take care of and feed um, however you prefer yourself to do, to do good for you, do that for someone else. And from all of you are, from all of what you are, give your whole self to that. Um, and the, the teacher of the law um, says, yeah, well said. The Sadducees, you are wrong. Verse 32, well said teacher, the man replied, you are right. In saying that God is one, etc. Jesus is right. He teaches the law correctly. Uh, and then Jesus puts, makes his judgment on this teacher of the law. You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
which is his way of saying, you're not far from me. So this um, teacher of the law sees that Jesus is, is right. Um, and after that, verse 34, no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus has knocked everyone, you know, Bruce Lee knocks everyone out in the room. He's the only person standing. And Jesus has done this in debate. Um, he is the true teacher of the law. He is the true priest. It says in, in the Old Testament that a priest's lips should guard knowledge. Jesus is here fulfilling and being the ultimate of all of these, the, the current teachers of the law and scribes and elders. Um, so, so now we're going to think about uh, what Jesus has been teaching and how this applies to us. Um, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so this is, this is really useful. Okay, we're going to let Jesus do this for us. So Jesus has, has, has given us two examples uh, at the end. So we, it kind of sums up what he's been saying and gives a gives a li living example of uh, a negative and a positive example. So he gives, um, in verse 38, he, he points out the scribes and the elders as the negative example. Uh, uh, sorry, the teachers of the law, he says. As Jesus taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour, excuse me, widows' houses, and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So this is, this is what not to do. This is how not to live. The, the teachers of the law are, the, the arrows are pointed inwards. They're all about what they can get. Um, they devour widows' houses. They devour and these are the things they love. Um, and I think it's easy for us to be, oh, those teachers of the law, aren't they so bad? Oh, aren't they such hypocrites? But when we list, list the things, the words that are given here, it's a bit uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable list, isn't it? As I say some of the, the words here, res respect, importance, honor, showiness. These are things that we can go after ourselves, aren't they? Um, and that is, that is human nature. It's, it's me, 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 me. Um, but look at the widow. Look at the positive example. Jesus sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put, verse 41. Watch the crowd putting in the money to the treasury. Many people, rich people, threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had all she had to live on. The widow gave 
all she had. You can see she's the complete opposite. She's giving. And Jesus highlights this woman because she is like him. And he is like God. The vineyard owner gave all he had. All his servants, he gave his son. There's nothing more that he could give. This is what God is like, giving himself. And Jesus is the son who came and died, giving his life. He said in 10, uh, chapter 10, uh, you probably know the, the verse, it's the famous one. 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is Jesus, like his Father, giving. And this widow gives her very life. Widows had no power to get money for themselves in these times, no husband to provide. And it will be easy for her to just keep what she's got. Maybe just give one of her small copper coins. But she gives all she has. She's like God. She has the teaching of Jesus, the rejected cornerstone in her heart. And she's an example for us to follow. Um, so for us to, to fulfill God's law, for us to live righteously and justly, then this is how we're to live. We're to give ourselves, give ourselves away, our time, our energy, our mental capacity, our strength, all for the good of others, all in love for God. And that is impossible. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to the vineyard to fix us by his death. His death in our place was the way that we can be right with God. He fulfilled all righteousness. He was baptized as a sinner to fulfill all righteousness, to do what God required. He died in the place of sinners in obedience to God and he completed what God required to be the image of God and gave him himself and died and then rose. So for Christians, we have God's spirit in us and it's only his spirit in us that enables us to live this life of love, of self-giving. Um, it's not going to be, uh, you know, try harder, do better, you know, pray more, you need to pray more. It's not pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's saying to God, I can't do this. I can't love as you want me to. I need you to do it for me. And he did. Please give me your love so I can love with your love. Um, and so that will mean for us, that will mean giving ourselves uh, while there is suffering uh, on the way to the resurrection. So a life where there is suffering, 
a life of self-giving with joy, following Jesus on the way to the kingdom of God uh, coming to earth. So I hope, I hope um, uh, I'd like to leave us with um, Jesus' words um, where he implores us to give our whole selves to God. Um, in verse... In verse 17, um, where he says, Give to God what is God's, and they are amazed at him. Uh, let's pray. Dear, dear Father God, um, we need you to change and save us in order to keep your commandments and we thank, thank you that Jesus has done that and we pray that you by the power of your Holy Spirit will make us those who give ourselves away those who give our whole selves to God in Jesus name Must thank you so much for proclaiming Christ for us. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And we're going to sing a fitting song. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, my, our hope is built on nothing less. Band, please lead us as we sing. After this song, we will come to communion. Please stand. <laughs>